0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I'd like for you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. And uh, I want to speak for just a few moments on this subject. For the Christian, Easter means everlasting life. And I want us to take some time in the Word of God to go through this. I'm going to begin reading this morning in Matthew chapter 28, and I want you to look with me, beginning in verse number 1. And the Scripture says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake And became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, fear not ye. For I know that you seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Perhaps the greatest words in all of the Bible are found in the first eight words of this passage. And I think it's something that you and I as a believer can rejoice in every single day. We don't have to wait until Easter Sunday morning to celebrate what we're talking about today. Thank God Jesus is alive and well. There are so many things to learn and understand about the resurrection. And I think the the resurrection of Jesus ought to mean the world to you. It ought to mean the world to me. I want to share with you real quickly here. Do you have your bulletin? I want you to follow along with me. I'll not keep you long this morning. But I want you to look into the word. We need to look at it. We need to understand it. We need to know it. And it certainly ought to do something inside of us to stir us up. One of the things that I want you to know about the resurrection is this. It is God's completed plan of salvation. And I emphasize that. Had there been a cross and not a resurrection, we would all still be on our road to hell. You say, well, preacher, not... Too many preachers are preaching on hell today. That's exactly right. And look at the condition of the world. The resurrection is God's completed plan of salvation. The apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number three and four. He said, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, look at this now, according to the scriptures and how that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so it's important for us to know that God bringing Jesus back from the dead was not only prophecy, but it was necessary. We had to experience in Christ a resurrection. Because again, a resurrection is the thing that completed it. A cross without it would have been nothing. Jesus may have been counted as a martyr of some sort had there been no resurrection. But indeed, God raised him from the dead. The second thing that I want you to notice this morning is this, that Jesus had to be crucified. It was impossible for salvation to come our way any other method. If somebody had put a pillow over the face of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and tried to suffocate him to death, we would all still be lost without the blood and we would die and go to hell. If somebody had put poison in his drink, we could not be saved. Jesus had to be crucified because it was the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus only, that God would accept, that would make the payment, that would make the atonement for our sin. And the blood of Jesus satisfied the mind and the heart of God. Paul again said it this way in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 8. He said, and being found in the fashion as man... He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, the scripture says this, but God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The important thing for us to remember about this cross and resurrection thing here as we celebrate the resurrection of the Savior today is this, that God did not send Jesus to this world when man had evolved into a righteous human being. God did not love us when we became worthy, when we became lovely. God did not love us when we became righteous. God sent his only begotten son to this earth, to this world. When we were sinners, when we deserved to die and go to hell. God looked back in the eons of time and he said, I do not want my creation to spend a Christless eternity. I do not want them to die and go to hell. And so the scripture says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. God looked ahead in time and he saw that our soul was shipwrecked and it was going to die and spend eternity in hell. And the only thing that could rescue us was the old rugged cross, the blood of Jesus, and the resurrection. So you think about this just for a moment Jesus had to be crucified. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says this, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. And I emphasize something about the stripes of Jesus that brings the healing to you and I. Isaiah the prophet said it this way, 750 years before jesus went to the cross before the resurrection he said he was wounded for our transgressions now you think about the faith that isaiah had isaiah was looking forward he was looking towards the cross knowing that god had given his prophets the declaration the revelation that Jesus the Messiah would one day come, but only he could make the atonement of our sins. All of the prophets look back to the days of the Old Testament. Danny taught very well this morning in Sunday school about the Passover lamb and how that Jesus became our Passover lamb and how that God would not accept anything, even going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God rejected Cain's offering, but he accepted Abel's offering because it was from the blood sacrifice. All the way back to the beginning, God has used blood in his interaction with mankind. God's royal blood through his son, Jesus, Jesus shedding his blood on the cross. There was no other payment for sin. There are millions of people all over this globe and I'm probably sure that some are even watching by internet today Let me emphasize something very important this morning that there is absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself You can perform no work no deed you can pay no money You cannot go to a certain University there's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself because here is the thing we're not work defied We are justified We are justified by the blood of Jesus, and only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Jesus had to be crucified. He had to shed his blood. We think about this brutality that he went through. He was beaten beyond recognition. He was stripped naked before the world, brutally whipped, spat upon, mocked. We think about the thorns pressed down upon his brow. We think about the nails that pierced his hands and pierced his feet. We think about the Roman soldier that shoved a spear into his side. We think about those that offered him vinegar to drink while his redeeming, atoning blood was trickling down his body, forming a pool on the dirt of the ground beneath the cross. We think about the painful steps that led to that place of Golgotha. We think about the excruciating trail of tears that he traveled walking the Via Della Rosa. Imagine just for a moment the heartbreak that his disciples, his mother, had seen and witnessed with their own eyes as Jesus is making his way to the cross. We are all familiar with the story how Jesus prayed in Gethsemane three times. Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus was willing to go all the way. Everything that was necessary and required of him, Jesus was willing to do. And you think about the sacrifice he made on the cross. Because if there is one thing that I would like for you to understand today, it's this that Jesus gave everything he had for you and me that we could have eternal life. This wasn't just a moment. You think about this. He gave his hands to the cross. He gave his feet to the cross. He gave his head to a crown of thorns. He gave his blood to the dirt of the ground. He gave his mother back to the disciples, and he cried with a loud voice, It is finished, and gave his spirit back to God. The truth of the matter is this. Jesus gave everything he had for you and me, that we could have eternal life and a home in heaven. So this is not just a one-day celebration. We think about what Jesus went through, and it ought to make us shout and sing and wave our hands and praise God 365 days of the year because he's not dead. He's alive. Jesus had to be crucified. John chapter 19, verse 38, it says this, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate, gave him leave. That means this, that after Jesus had bowed his head on the cross and gave up the ghost, you remember what he said? Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. And when he said that, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And then... There was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. This is not the earthly father of Jesus who operated the carpenter shop. This was another Joseph. And a man named Nicodemus who sought the Lord by night. And he came to Jesus and he said, Rabbi, what must I do to be saved? How can I be born again? Jesus gave him that great revelation of the new birth in John chapter 3. But Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus requested permission to take the lifeless body of Jesus off of the cross and to prepare him for burial and the scripture says this he came therefore and took the body of Jesus verse 39 tells us the name of the other man Nicodemus which at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloe about a hundred pound weight Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never a man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews preparation for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. And so it's very important we understand that when they took the body of Jesus down from the cross and they began to prepare him with these burial spices, a and myrrh, it was about a hundred pounds of that substance, that spice. And when they, it almost weighed a hundred pounds when they wrapped and prepared his body and placed him in the tomb. But thank God Almighty, and I want you to see this in our third point this morning, that God raised Jesus from the dead. This is significant. It's the greatest event that has ever happened on planet Earth. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 10, the word says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. But let's go to a most familiar passage that I think all of us are refreshed and rehearsed in, and that's John chapter 20. They will get these scriptures for you on the screen, but I want to begin with verse 1 and read through verse number 10. The Bible says, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and come unto Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. I want to share something with you here, and I could put the sermon on pause just for a moment and do it because so many times we are deceived. Whenever you read things on YouTube and you get on the internet and you look at this and somebody says, well, they found the jawbone of John the Baptist tucked away in the dead sea somewhere. You'd be surprised how many people come out of the earth to worship that kind of thing. Many years ago, they said they found the holy shroud of Jesus. I'm going to dispute that this morning. I'm going to tell you why that's not possible. That holy shroud of Jesus portrays the body, the image of Jesus, and you'd be surprised of the people that come out of the earth all over the world to worship, to bow down, burn candles in front of, and all of this ridiculous, ritualistic stuff, uh, and it shows the the body of Jesus, the, the image of Jesus. It's impossible. If you believe the Bible... Because the Bible is all we have. The word of God is all we, we either believe this or we don't. And I've said this many times that if the Bible is wrong on one thing, it's wrong on everything. This cannot be the story that is publicized around the world, the holy shroud of Jesus. It's impossible because of the scripture right here. The Bible says this, that when they prepared Jesus with these two spices, aloe and myrrh. After they wrapped his body, and it was like when these two substances came together, it formed like a cocoon type of a thing, but it was like a cast. It wasn't just clothes. And it, it formed a, sort of like a hard place uh, for the body of Jesus to be in. But what they did, the Scripture says that they laid a napkin on his face look at that and the napkin was about his head not lying with the linen clothes but wrapped in a place by itself so please don't burn a candle at the shroud of jesus that's not true the scripture says that the napkin was folded you know what that tells me the scripture says for us to do everything decently and in order Isn't it amazing that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he took time to make the bed, so to speak. He folded the napkin and laid it, notice this, in a separate place by itself. And then verse number eight, then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher and he saw and believed for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. And so there are many wonderful truths about resurrection, God's completed plan of salvation. And I thank God this morning that we can say with great confidence that the tomb is empty. And th- that's why... I stand here every Sunday morning. I don't wait for Easter Sunday morning to come to church. I will tell you this. The reason why I stand in this pulpit every single Sunday is because I've got something to talk about. I've got something to preach about. We've got something to say. If Jesus Christ was dead, if he was not resurrected from the grave, we would not have anything else but another pagan religion that is celebrated in some form or fashion all over the world. But I get out of this chair, I study during the week, I walk in this pulpit because I have a message to preach and that is Jesus is alive and well. Amen. Amen. The Christian faith is the only religion in the world that believes that an empty tomb is associated with our religious leader. All the other religious people of the world, religious leaders, they have a dead corpse in their grave. But the resurrection of Jesus gives us visible proof that he is alive and well. The word of God declares it by eyewitness accounts, not just people making it up. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 3, the scripture says this, to whom also he showed himself alive After his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days. When Jesus came out of the grave, he went back into the city and he demonstrated the resurrecting power of God. The scripture says he showed himself alive for 40 days after this. After the 40 days had expired, Jesus gathered his disciples to a place called the Mount of Olives. And there at the Mount of Olives, he began to preach, and he began to teach them, awaiting for the cloud to take him back to the Father. But he said this 40 days after the resurrection. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he said, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the world. You think about this. Jesus showed himself alive and the scripture says, in speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And in first John chapter one, verse one through three, the Bible says that which was from the beginning we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the father was manifested unto us that we which have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye might have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. But the truth of the matter is this, the resurrection doesn't only open our eyes to the eternal life of Jesus, but the resurrection of Christ opens our eyes to the fact that we also can have eternal life. And number four, real quickly, because Jesus eternally lives in Christ, and that's important, you have to be in Christ to have eternal life with him. Now, if you're out of Christ, that doesn't mean you don't have eternal life. Out of Christ, you will have eternal life in hell. In Christ, you will have eternal life in heaven. You see, the truth of the matter is we will all be somewhere forever. And we have to make the decision, what do we want with our eternity? Where do we want to spend eternity? Do we want to spend eternity separated from God forever? Do we want to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord Jesus? Because eternity, listen carefully, exists for all of us. We will all be somewhere forever because Jesus eternally lives in heaven. In Christ so can we John chapter 11 verse 25 and 26 says Jesus said unto her I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me though he were dead yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die believest thou this and so eternal life is found in Jesus and it can be ours in Christ when we trust him as our Savior And so the resurrection teaches us that Jesus is alive. It teaches us that we can live forever as well. But the resurrection also teaches this great truth. That because Jesus is alive and well, we have proof, we have witness, we have testimony in the scripture that we can be reunited with our loved ones who have departed this world in Christ We can be with them who have gone on before. So many of us have loved ones that have already made the crossing, that have already made this journey. We here in our church, we have had several so close to us recently who have crossed that great divide, who have walked through that valley of the shadow of death. But I can assure you today by the testimony of them themselves and the testimony of their loved ones, we know where they are today. And in Christ, they're not in the ground. They're not floating in space. They're not being reincarnated. They're praising God, lifting holy hands around the throne room of heaven this morning. The scripture says this in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Concerning our loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. As I stood here just a few days ago, preaching the funeral of Linda and preaching the funeral of my father, I was reminded of this. When it comes down to it and our loved ones, either of an elder age or some type of sickness that God for whatever reason chose not to turn around and we know or we knew that our loved ones were about ready to leave right ready to depart this is what I have been dealing with for 42 years as a pastor but especially when my father passed and I put myself in the shoes of many who have had loved ones to recently go, here's the thing. The dying part is easy. When my father took his last breath, we as a family were standing around his bedside and I put my hands on his chest and I looked at Danny and I said, he's gone. And this is how it happened. He just went like this. And he was in the presence of God. You see, that's easy. Years ago, he gave his heart to Christ. He surrendered his life to Christ. He taught us how to live for Christ. Standing there on that particular night, when the breath left his body, that was easy for him. The hard part is the separation. When we're separated. Now we know that according to the scriptures, we're going to be reunited with our loved ones one day and thank God for that promise. That's the difficult thing, knowing that between now and then, that's the struggle. But here's the joy to that. The truth of the matter is this, Jesus could come back today He could come back in our next breath. He could come back before we get to the mailbox, before we get to our house this afternoon. He could come back. So the hope is this. We don't weep as those who have no hope. Even though the parting, the separation is difficult, in Christ we know where they are. And we have hope, we have blessed hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Thank God in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 8, the scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. None of us look forward in going to the graveyard and we try to prolong life in every way we possibly can. None of us enjoy saying goodbye. I was reading a story not too long ago about a little boy and his mother who lived in a Midwestern town in the late 1800s, and it was just him and her. They had a meager life, and they were trying to work the farm the best they could. They grew their vegetables, they raised their meat and farm animals, and they just had a meager but good life. They lived on the outskirts of town. And one day, this little boy's mother got deathly sick. And she told her little son, she said, listen, you're going to have to go and fetch the doctor. Something's not right. And so he walked all the way to town. He made himself Known in the town, asking people where the doctor was, and they pointed him in this direction. He found the doctor. He knocked on the door, and he said, Sir, my mother's very sick, and she sent me to get you. Would you please come to the house? So the doctor made the house call. He quickly determined that his mother did not have much time to live. The mother asked the doctor, she said, would you go and explain this to my little boy? I need him to understand how serious this is. I I want him to know what's going on. And so the doctor went outside in the backyard where this little boy was sitting under a tree. And he began to inform this little boy. He looked into his eyes and he said, son, I've got some hard news for you. And he began to tell him, that his mother was not going to make it. And the tears just began to flow from the little lad's face. And he looked into the doctor's eyes and he said this, well, sir, how much time does she have? When is this going to happen? How long will it be? The doctor looked around where he was sitting with this little boy and he saw a tree. And he said, well, son, when the leaves turn brown and fall off of this tree, your mother will be gone. And about three weeks later, the doctor made another house call and he went to the house and he had a visit with the lady and it was getting worse by the day. And so the doctor wanted to check on the little boy and he walked outside and he called his name and he couldn't find him. He spent a little more time doing that, calling out for the name. And finally, the little boy said, I'm up here. And the doctor looked and there up in that tree was that little boy. And the doctor asked him, he looked and he said, Why are you up in the tree? And the little boy said, Well, I'm tying all of these leaves to the branch because you said when they fell to the ground, my mother would be gone. And I'm trying to do everything I can to hang on to this as long as I can. But I want you to know something. Because of the resurrection, I can tell you that all of our loved ones who have been saved by the grace of God, we will see them again. We will be with them again. Thank God Easter means everlasting life. I want our musicians to come forward. not only does it mean that jesus is alive and well not only does it mean that in christ we will live forever not only does it mean that we'll be reunited with our loved ones again but the last thing on your bulletin day is this salvation means that we can have peace peace that passeth all understanding the apostle paul said in philippians chapter 1 in verse number 21 for me to live as christ and to die as gain John said this in John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Here's the thing that I want to leave you with today. In Christ, because of the resurrection, you can lay your head on the pillow at night with peace and have great confidence that if you were to die today, you could be in the presence of God in the very next breath. You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot. For more information, visit our website at Buford Road Baptist